Amen. Please remain standing if you're able. And let's turn to Hebrews 10 once again, page 1007 in the Blue Pew Bible. I'll be reading verses 19 through 25. This is God's holy word, inspired by his spirit. Give it your attention. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places... By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. The last two Sundays we've been looking at uh, this passage that we just read, where the writer is uh, now moving into the how shall we then live section of this letter of Hebrews. He's given us such great doctrine in the opening chapters leading up to this point. Uh, He's written so many wonderful things about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And now he turns to that question, how are we now to live in light of these things, in light of our Savior's coming and all that he's done for us? And in his first exhortation, he, uh, he answers that question uh, by calling us, first of all, to draw near to God. Since we have now access to God, and since we have a perfect and wonderful advocate with the Father in Jesus Christ, who is at his right hand now in heaven, interceding for us, we can and we should draw near to God. And continue to draw near to God in that way, in worship and in prayer and in a life of living communion with the Lord, with the triune God. We have that privilege now. We have union and communion with God now through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can draw near and live near to God every moment before his face. There's nothing to prevent us. We can live in the most holy place, the heavenly most holy place, uh, as it were, 
even now in this life. We have that privilege to live before the face of God by his spirit now. He indwells us. And he calls us to draw near and dwell with him. And what a great, awesome privilege this is. What a great source of of joy and peace and uh, the grace that we need for this life. We have God now. There's nothing to keep us from him, from living near to God. Our sins can't even do that. Our remaining sin. Because we can draw near to God with full assurance of faith and we can confess our sins and we can be cleansed afresh and be accepted by God and know that we have his acceptance and his love and his fellowship. He loves us and he wants us to draw near to him and live near to him that way. That is a humbling and a very precious thing. It's so good. I hope you know that. We're not just uh, trying to perform uh, as Christians. We're not just trying to, to do better and live better and be better people. I hope that's not the way you think of the Christian life. Because that'll dry you up and you won't last if that's what you're going for. Yes, God wants us to to grow in those ways. He wants us to to change and be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. But he wants us, first of all. He wants us. It's all about that relationship that he has reconciled us to. His dwelling with us, his abiding with us, and us with him. That's what this life as Christians is about. That's what the gospel brings about. It brings us to him and brings him to us so that we can live in communion with God. I hope you know that. I hope you are seeking that. Draw near to God for that. For him, enjoy him living in his presence. That will change your life like nothing else. But if you just aim for the change, if you just aim for the holiness, just aim for transformation, moral uh, improvement, you'll miss the mark. Aim for the Lord. And he's given you everything to have that, that communion with him. The writer also exhorts us then to hold fast to our confession of hope. And here he's calling us to persevere in our faith in Christ. Persevere for the long haul. Whatever comes our way, whatever storms may come. These early Christians were facing some pretty big storms. But they had a sure hope of heaven in Christ. And so do we. Because our Savior has died for us and he has risen and ascended back to the Father. He's gone to heaven before us and he will bring us to be where he is. We are united to him and he will uphold us to the end. And then he will bring us to be with him forevermore. 
And thankfully, we're reminded here, the writer reminds us, that this isn't just a matter of our faithfulness, us trying to hang in there by the skin of our teeth, by the strength of our grip on Christ. But he's holding on to us. God is the one holding us fast. He who promised is faithful, the writer reminds us. We need him to be holding on to us. He's the one who preserves us completely so that we're enabled to persevere, so that we're enabled to hold fast to Christ to the end. That's why our anchor holds. It's because he's holding us. Praise the Lord. He is faithful. The writer exhorts us again then. He exhorts us to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And he adds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Every believer is called to, to stir up other believers and to encourage them. We're to be spurring one another on to love and good works, uh, praying for one another, encouraging one another, speaking a fitting word uh, in season as it's needed. We're to think about these things. How can we motivate one another to love God more and to love others? And we need that help. We need that help from one another. Um, You can't be uh, a Lone Ranger Christian. You need the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you have help to give. You have gifts uh, to serve the body. You have words to offer to encourage your fellow uh, believers in Christ. And your help is needed. You can be a great blessing in that way, to your brethren. We need to be thinking about this, be praying about how we might uh, be a blessing to one another, how we might engage uh, in that one anothering that's being described here. Encouraging one another, helping one another, spurring one another on. We all have that calling to do that. You may not be able to do it for everyone, but you can do it for someone. Keep your eyes open. Ask the Lord to show you those opportunities. You can do it with good words that you speak. You can do it also with your good example. And of course, he's exhorting us here to public worship, to attend public worship. Again, this is basic. This is basic and it is critical to how we are going to be built up in our faith and how we're going to be sustained and how we're going to persevere to the end. It's also basic to how we're going to be stirred up uh, to love and good deeds. Uh, If you're not going to participate in public worship, the gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day to hear the preaching of his word, to hear the preaching of Christ, you're not going to be much stirred up and your faith isn't going to be strengthened. We need the means of grace that God provides, and he provides it in the church, in the gathering of worship of his people. We need need air to breathe. We need food to drink. We need water 
for our bodies. You'd never neglect those basic physical necessities. And the same way, we need to think that way about spiritual things. We cannot uh, be sustained spiritually if we're going to neglect the spiritual means of grace that God has provided. And he provides those as we gather together in worship on the Lord's Day. The Word, the sacraments, prayer. God desires us uh, to gather in worship like this. He desires our worship. I think that's the first thing we should consider. More important than any benefits we get out of it. He deserves our worship. He is worthy. It is necessary. We rob him of that glory if we absent ourselves from worship, worshiping together as his people. But remember, again, this is, this is all part of our relationship with the Lord. It's all our relationship to him. And part of our relationship with him, the very basic part is we gather together as his people to worship him. That's part of our drawing near to him. That's part of our communion with the Lord, a very critical, basic part. It's critical to our relationship with him. He wants us in that relationship. He wants us to draw near to him. Again, not just privately, privately to be sure, but publicly as well, together with his people. At the end of verse 25, the writer speaks of the day that is drawing near. And here he gives us another encouragement and stirs us up with these words. He says, we should be encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And of course, the reference here is to the Lord's return. the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think we think enough about that. I don't know about you, but I know I don't think enough about it. I think I probably don't preach enough about it. This should be a, a, a real component of our lives, something that we think about often, something that we, we meditate on, believe in, and look forward to. We should be living expectantly with a view to Christ's return. Calvin said, we should continually expect his second coming and think of each day as if it were the last. We read from Romans 13, Paul shows there how living this way, how thinking this way, living with a view to the second coming of Christ will change us. It will lead to godly living. He says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. First Peter, the apostle, says 
very similar words. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, these kinds of statements in Scripture should, should send alarm bells going off in our minds and our hearts. When we think about these things, when we think about our Lord's return, He is coming. It's a wake-up call. Wake up, the Scriptures are telling us. This stunning truth should wake us up, and it's a truth that we should keep at the forefront of our minds. So often it's at the end of our, our catechisms and confessions, but it should be right up near the front of our minds. It should wake us up, and it should cause us to to be sober-minded. It should cause us to to turn from our sin and to to forsake temptation, say no to sin. And sin will will make us um, uh, drowsy. There's this this, uh, interchange here about waking up from that drowsiness of sin. But if you indulge in sin and self-centeredness, it will make you drowsy. It will make you spiritually slothful, and you won't be thinking about these things, and you won't be uh, turning from sin and preparing your heart. Sin and self-centeredness will make you uh, feel as if you're on enchanted ground, like that scene in uh, Pilgrim's Progress, where he's so drowsy, he can hardly move. And he has to be delivered from that state. And we get into that state of spiritual drowsiness at times. When we just get consumed with life, get consumed with this world, or get caught in a sin. But here is good help for us. Wonderful help for us here from God's word. It's the truth of Christ's second coming. That's an alarm bell for us going off. It should wake us up from spiritual slumber. Wake up, Paul says. Don't you know the day is at hand? Christ is fast approaching. He's coming. He's closer every day. We don't think about this enough. And people, two days are coming. Two days. Coming soon for all of us. And we don't know which one's going to come first. The day when Christ returns bodily to judge the world and to save his people to the uttermost or the day of our death. Those are the two days that are coming. We don't know which is coming first. But we ought to be thinking about them both. We ought to think of them both as coming soon. Whichever day comes first, that will be the end of your earthly life. You'll be brought before the Lord's presence, the judge of the living and dead. The good news for believers in Christ is that this awesome judge 
is also your loving Savior. And he was already judged for you, for you, believer, in your place. He bore that judgment for you, for you who trust in him. So trust in him. And of course, for the unbeliever, this is a very sobering warning and wake-up call to hear about the Lord's coming. It's a wake-up call to get right with God before it's too late. Seek his forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. Seek his pardon through the atonement that he has provided before it's too late. But for us as believers, again, this is a sobering word. It's a wake-up call. It's also a joyful exhortation for us to live for the Lord. Live for the one who did these things for you. Live for the one who loved you and died for you to save you from God's judgment. And he's coming soon to bring you into the fullness of your salvation. So live for him. Live for him in gratitude now, in light of all that he's done for you at his first coming. And of course, live also, as the writer's saying here, live in eager anticipation of what he will do for you when he comes again. His grace will be fully revealed to us. He will glorify us. We'll be raised from the dead and transformed into his image in the twinkling of an eye. And we stand there as a, uh, uh, at, at the time of the judgment. We're going to be, as believers in Christ, already transformed into the image of Christ. That won't be a day of dread for us. It will be a day of amazing grace and glorifying God for all that he's done for us. Think about that transformation that's going to occur when he comes. This is such good news for us. We should be longing for this. John, the Apostle John says in 1 John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This thought of of Christ's return should make us very happy. It's going to be the day of our deliverance. It's going to be the day of our transformation, set free from sin, set free from sorrow. But it should also have a purifying effect on us, thinking about these things. Not because we're dreading that day, not because we're afraid uh, that we're going to be punished when he comes, because we long for his coming. We should long for him and seek to purify our lives for him. 
and because we, we long to be with him. We long to be with him when he comes then at the end, but we long to be with him even now in that fellowship that we can have with him in this life. And we should seek to purify ourselves for that. We should seek to, to fight sin every day and every hour of our lives for the sake of that relationship, that, you, that communion we can have with the Lord even now in this life. But looking forward to his coming has that purifying effect in our lives as well. We should long for it, long to be with him. Again, the relationship. We long to be with the Lord, forever with the Lord. And certainly we long for all this world's sinful nonsense to be over. This whole world is completely nuts. It's just 100% haywire. Rebellion everywhere, evil all around, and evil still within us. Say amen to that. And the whole creation groans for the end to come. And we should too. We should be groaning and longing for Christ to come and set everything right. And he's going to. And I can't wait for that to be done. He's coming. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to give us eternal joy. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to be pure for him. But again, just keep in mind, we're not just talking about some point of doctrine in whatever chapter of the confession. It's not just a point of doctrine. As beloved as our doctrines are, and this doctrine is, it's lovely, the second coming of our Savior. But again, we're talking about the relationship that we have with him. The Christ who is coming again is our Savior who loves us and who died for us in order that we may be with him. He longs for us to be with him. He is the lover of our souls. And we can have that wonderful communion with him even now by his spirit. And that's the best thing in our lives, in this earthly life. That's the highest, best thing we can enjoy in this life. If we lose everything else, don't lose that. That's, that's the very best of all that we can enjoy in this life the communion with God that he gives to us, but soon we will have it fully, face to face, without hindrance, no more veil, no more of this living by faith and not by sight, living by faith in an unseen, invisible God. That's what we live with now. We will see him then. Every eye will see our Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Lord who loves us. So the writer is urging us to think on these things and, and let this control our lives. 
Let this reality control your life, believer. This world is only going to last until the full number of God's elect people are gathered in into his kingdom through the preaching of Jesus Christ and by the effectual calling of his spirit who draws us to God and draws us to faith and creates faith in our hearts. And once that's done, once that last soul is gathered in, that last day has come. And the Lord Jesus Christ will come racing into this world to bring it all to completion and to gather us to himself forever. So in light of this, how should we then live? Well, God's telling us here to live for him, holding fast to his son by faith, and live to help one another to do that. Help one another to be ready for that day. Draw near to God yourself in prayer and in worship and in that living fellowship with him and help your brothers and sisters in Christ to do the same. Pray for them. Help them to grow in grace. Think of ways that you can be encouraging them, spurring them along in their walk with the Lord. Help them to live by faith in the Son of God who loved them and gave himself for them. That day is drawing near. So live like it could be today. For it surely could be. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for your wonderful saving purposes that for some reason include us. We are not worthy of these things, Lord. We are not worthy of uh, being your redeemed people. We deserve uh, your condemnation in hell. And we thank you so much for sending the Lord Jesus to bear that condemnation in our stead. Lord, we thank you for all the amazing blessings of salvation that you give to us. But above all, we thank you for union and communion uh, with yourself, with you, Father, and with the Holy Spirit and with your Son. We thank you for the communion of saints as well in the body. We have fellowship with you and with one another. Lord, teach our hearts to, to uh, draw near to you in that fellowship, to receive the grace that we need. Uh, also, Lord, just to, to simply enjoy that wonderful relationship that we have with you, uh, that marvelous uh, communion that you give to us by your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you'd work that transforming grace in us that uh, union with Christ brings. Grant that your Spirit would stir us, each of us, to live as you've called us to in light of all that you've done for us in Christ and in light of this glorious coming of the Lord that we look forward to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.